0: Good afternoon, and welcome to another installment of the All Souls Forum. Today's presentation, Concentrated Animal Feeding Operations, Cruelty by Design, by Craig Boland, was recorded at the All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church in Kansas City, Missouri, on October 22,
1: 2023. Good morning. My name is Renee Price. I am the forum assistant. Usually you don't see me up here. Uh, if you get messages from me, you get weekly emails from me. Uh, but today I'm filling in because we're short on people. Uh, I would like to take the opportunity to have everyone silence your cell phones. We do record these uh, forums for a uh, for uh, rebroadcast on KKFI. And would like to not have cell phones ringing in the middle of it. I think I'll jump to introducing the speaker. Craig has been here as long as I have and longer, I think. Um, And that's quite a long time at this point. Did you know that the Sierra Club has a food and agriculture team? And that the Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club has an agriculture committee? And that our speaker today is a chairperson of that committee. For more than 40 years, Craig Volland has worked on many environmental issues. He was an environmental consultant specializing in the evaluation of industrial processes and the impacts of pollutants on communities and the environment. He helped create the Kansas City Food Circle that promotes a more sustainable urban and regional farming network. He also helped establish the annual Food Expo, where local farmers display their locally produced organic products. Craig now serves as the volunteer chairperson of the Agriculture Committee of the Kansas Chapter Sierra Club. In recent years, he has become very concerned with CAFOs, the topic of his presentation today. Finally, Craig has been actively involved with the Forum at All Souls for many years, Though so we are especially pleased to have him as our guest today. Please welcome Craig Bolland.:
0: Thank you, Renee. Uh, I uh, gave a presentation similar to this so two or three years ago, but the reason I'm doing it again is because in the last couple of years uh, that I'm going to talk about tonight, uh, today, The scale of this problem has become even greater, actually, beyond anything you could imagine. Um, Also, uh, there's a lot of problems with uh, these animal factories. They're actually um, concentrated animal feeding operations. Is the industrial application of technology on producing meat and other animal products. But there's other problems with CAFOs. There's extensive water pollution, nationwide air pollution, impacts on the health of neighbors and on on on-site workers, while contributing to uh, increasing bacterial resistance uh, to antibiotics. Then there's the massive political power of big ag that controls both CAFOs and um, the pervasive production of corn and soybeans for livestock feed all over the country. But today I will talk about the cruelly imposed on the animals we use and eat due to the way CAFOs are designed and operated. Uh, what you see here is uh, 18,000 cows burning to death. Uh, I would never have, before this happened this year, uh, I would uh, not have thought it. Possible, but the design of CAFOs, as i was explaining later, is what makes that uh, possible. And this also happened, uh, I think, last year. Uh, because a single bird tested positive for bird flu, they killed 5.3 million hens in this egg factory. And what you're seeing there is uh, the burial pit. And those little white things in the distance are people, which gives you a sense of the scale of this. 5.3 million chickens, and I'll tell you how they were killed. So how did this all happen? It's because of CAFOs, the design of CAFOs, a concentrated animal feeding operation, an official term of the a US EPA, but it's also commonly known as an animal factory in which food animals or livestock are tightly confined. It's the industrial model for producing meat, dairy, and eggs. This was introduced in the, this new design principle was uh, introduced in the 1950s and 60s on the basic design principle of intensive confinement. I found that term in some early agriculture engineering documents at the K. Kansas State University Library. It was, intended, it was intended to minimize labor costs and land use. And here's why. Because after World War II, the powers that be or um, the politicians and the USDA got together with the livestock associations to essentially propagandize the American uh, population that meat, uh, if you eat lots of meat, that that would mean that you are higher status in the population and that you're healthier. Uh, And uh, because prior to World War II, um, people didn't really eat nearly as much meat. Uh, They might go to grandma's on Sunday to have a roast, a pork or beef roast. But it was after World War II that they wanted to take meat from the edge of the plate and put it into the center of the plate three meals a day, and this went on for decades. I went to, I was in Weston, walking around the city Weston up here, and there was an antique store, and I go in there, and there was a whole wall full of these. Uh, that's how I got these uh, brochures from the livestock associations. This was. The one on the left is the National Livestock and Meat Board, uh, and I can't read the other one, but the, there was like a dozen of those, which was the proof of the kinds of systematic propaganda, uh, propagandizing of the American people. So how do you make it possible for everybody to eat meat all the time? Well, you make it as cheap as possible. So hence, the industry got together with our politicians. This was also part of the we're going to feed the world paradigm, too. So over some 50 years after World War II, the food system transitioned from this to this. This is a cattle feedlot. And and this is the largest cattle feedlot in Kansas 140,000 cows in one location, from this, which is free-range chickens, to this, caged hens in an egg factory. This is where the 5.3 million hens were that were killed. But also, broiler chickens, how would you like to be described by the way you're going to be eaten? That's the term used for um, the chickens that you find in, in any grocery store that's not a natural food store, uh, broiler chickens. And they're just crammed in there. See the basic design principle here? Intensive confinement. Turkeys. Do you think your nurse turkey's been out on a pasture? No, not unless you got it from a local farmer. It's been in one of these things. And this, these are hogs out on pasture, and this is actually an existing farm. Um, well, there's, there's a lot of these now because it's getting more popular, but uh, they're out on pasture to this. And this is a hog CAFO where they're crammed into. They actually design the space of the um, sections so that when they come in as is, is, uh, half-grown piglets, They know how much they're going to grow. And so there'll be a a fair amount of space when they come in initially, but a couple months later, they completely fill them. And that's all by some engineering design because they don't want to miss using a square inch of space. And this is, uh, I'll talk more about later, this is the worst case of this kind of technology. These are caged sows. This has historically been the way that they're kept when they're in gestation, meaning they've, they've been fertilized. And um, they've, uh, they actually kind of go crazy in that space. They can't turn around. This is uh, in western Kansas. Uh, there's a, a complex of hog CAFOs out there. And this is just one part of it. I think there's like 14 of these, uh, what they call these, you know, waste impoundments or lagoons. Uh, in a couple of square miles, 300,000 pigs in that space of a couple of, of sections or square miles. And from this is an uh, organic, from an existing organic, radiance organic dairy uh, in the U.S., uh, from this, that's the way it used to all be done, was on pasture, to this. This is a confinement dairy. And this is how you can get an idea of how 18,000 cows died in that particular dairy because they crammed them all in like this. Uh, Sometimes the dairies uh, are part cattle feedlot, and then they carry them in to to milk them. This is the largest uh, dairy in uh, Kansas, 35,000 cows. Uh, But you don't see any grass anywhere that they have access to. They're all on dirt. So intensive confinement is inherently cruel and unnatural. It's a lifetime of confinement, causes manic behavior and repetitive motions. Sows biting cage rails. uh, Other hogs bite each other, jostling for space. And hens peck cage mates. Uh, This stress-induced behavior leads to mutilation because they don't want the birds damaged, so they won't lay eggs, for example, so they de-beak them as chicks without any use of anesthetics. And they also cut off the hogs' tails because they tend to bite the other hogs' tails. So, well, the solution is obvious. You just cut off their tails without anesthetics. Well, another problem uh, I was fascinated by... uh, peer-reviewed article I ran across one time about the uh, inside these spaces they do have fans but uh, there's a buildup of deadly pollutants inside so they tested or they tested what happened to the uh, hens in this case it was one of those uh, big hen uh, egg factories and uh, this hen housed 2.5 million hens in nine barns Longer than a football field, each barn contains seven rows of cages, ten tiers high, meaning there's ten levels. How else would you get two million hens in a a few barns? That's what they do. They cram them in as best they can. So these hens uh, live for two years in an average space of eight by eight inches. Here's a, a... a picture of that one, uh, or one was in this article I was reading, to give you an idea of how, how far different this is from having uh, chickens that can go out on pasture. They do have to come in at night because there's predators, and they'll show you how the other farmers have handled that. So the te- deadly pollutant buildup is that they found that the death rate of the hens increased the further away they were from the air intakes, so obviously, if you had, if you were a hen was lucky enough to be right by the fans uh, or the air intakes, you were okay. But these guys that run these things, it's just a cost of doing business. They say, okay, we're going to lose ten percent. So what? So here's the inherent physical consequences of intensive confinement. <clears throat> They're subject to mass death from barn fires, heat stroke and death, mass suffocation when the ventilation fails. And in fact, it occurred to me one day, there's so many animals in there that if there's no ventilation, they quickly use up the oxygen by breathing. So essentially, they die from carbon dioxide. The close... Uh, uh, proximity of a large number of animals with the same genetics because they're all pretty much identical. That's the way. That's what genetics is anymore in the ag industry. Uh, of course, they're going to get disease and it's going to spread. Barn fires. The uh, Animal, Inst- Animal Welfare Institute, which I highly recommend that, that if you wanted to donate somewhere, that's a good place to do it because they're very professional their analysis of all this, there in Washington, D.C. I, t- I showed you the picture of the 18,000 cows who uh, were burned up. This is, uh, from, uh, this is a, a shot, a gra- overview of that facility. And you can see how large the uh, barn is, even though they can be outside. Some of them can be outside feeding on dirt lots. You can see the vast majority of them were inside that building when uh, they're not quite sure why it blew up. But it had something to whenever you have that much manure in one location, you get, of course, methane, uh, which is similar to natural gas. And they think that uh, a spark did it when they were pumping out uh, manure, which time that you stir up a pile of wet manure, that causes Uh, the the gases to come out like that in large enough concentration that they would blow up. So that's what, that was the design of that place where 18,000 cows died. Uh, Actually, uh, barn fires are very common. Uh, The Animal Ware Institute found that some 3 million farm animals died in barn fires from 2018 to 2021. Uh, CAFO buildings, there was an attempt to get to force these guys to put in sprinklers to maybe stop some of these fires. But uh, they they as usual, Big Ag came in and said, no, you're not. And so the CAFO buildings are not required to have fire suppression uh, sprinklers. Also, I found in studying a number of these instances that was reported in the paper that uh, remember, the other thing was to remember the the purpose of intensive confinement was to lower the labor costs. So, usually these animals are left on their own all night, uh, and uh, sometimes during hours of the day. So, if a fire starts, there's nobody in there. So, even if there were, they're in cages, and there's no way to get them out, and there's too many to get out. So, it's the design of KFOS. They cause, in most instances, total destruction of all the animals in there. Sometimes they can get some of them out. There were some instances that occurred. Suffocation. This happened in Missouri, uh, I think, 2008. Um, the fans failed, and there was a, the backup generator didn't work, or there wasn't one, and so uh, 850 of these sows just died from ventilation failure. Here again. It's all because they're all crammed in together, and they use up what little air is there, and they all die. Intensive confinement. Heat stroke. Uh, this was in the Kansas City Star in 2011. Uh, there was a really big heat wave at that year. And uh, so there was a number of, uh, of these instances, and this report's the one, I think, in Kansas and Missouri. Uh, where uh, the heat got so bad uh, that they just died from heat stroke. I mean, they're not that different from us. The bird flu epidemics. So as I mentioned before, I showed you the example of the 5.3 million birds that were killed. Uh, When a few birds test positive at a CAFO site, operators will kill all the remaining birds uh, to limit the spread elsewhere. Uh, the case described by the Guardian uh, newspaper, uh, the method of culling, that's the term they use, they don't say kill, we're going to cull them, uh, was to shut off the ventilation and increase the heat to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. And in the, in the past, sometimes they've used firefighters' farm a uh, foam, if this, or if the numbers were small enough, they would uh, enclose them in a the space and put carbon dioxide in there. A study showed that in the case of the uh, ventilation uh, shutdown, that it takes uh, in some cases about one to two hours for these chickens to die. Ah, uh, oh, but you're really gonna you're really gonna like this when it turns out that you are paying for this when they allow these big CAFO operators to cull their animals, the USDA has a program to reimburse them for the the act of killing them and also cleaning up the mess. You remember that picture of the burial pit? They're paying for that too. And I believe, uh, here we go, Uh, in the 2014-15 bird flu episode where 50 million birds were killed, the cost to the taxpayer, a billion dollars. Uh, so far in the 2022-23 episode, which is what caused the earlier one that I showed you, uh, CAFO owners have killed so far 59 million hens or and also other poultry. Intensive confinement. Uh, I was uh, given a presentation about CAFOs at uh, Park College, I believe, and there when I was... After I was done, this uh, young woman in the front row says, uh, "You know what? This thing, this these KFOS remind me of the ships that brought my uh, ancestors over." She was African American. I was totally stunned. It never occurred to me, and so I went into the, to the uh, Google. And came up of a, this was a engineering design of a slave ship, and it is identical. It's intensive confinement. They wanted to cram as many as they could coming across the Atlantic. And every so often they would go go down in the hole where they were all stuffed and pick out the ones who died and throw them overboard. So what they're doing to animals, uh, it, they also did the, other creatures they thought of as animals in those days. So this, this is just, it boggles the mind. So I'm getting to something that's more optimistic here. Uh, are grocery store organic eggs and dairy the answer? Not necessarily. Uh, the organic rules are pretty good when it comes to uh produce but they're weak when it comes to how animals are uh, handled this is a cage-free organic egg production all they did was let those birds out of those tight cages but they're still caged they're still subject to all those things i've been talking about fires suffocation because they're confined there will be a little, uh, the rules say they have to have access to the outside. So some of these big companies put a little porch, it's called a porch, that allows a small number of the birds to go outside it, it, when they want to. Uh, but that is not. that doesn't in any way resolve the problems of cont- intensive confinement. Now this is uh, one way it's being done. This is uh, an Alexandre family farm. Uh, you can buy there. This is actually a, an organic dairy as well, and you can buy uh, Alexandre organic milk in, nature, in natural grocery stores around here. But here, you do need to protect the – you can see the hogs in the background, too, on pasture. <clears throat> and here, it, they're, during the day, they're guarded by you-know-who, the, the dog uh they're the white dog uh and then they go in this house at night to be protected so this is one way you can uh do that the the hogs don't need to be put inside at night because they can protect themselves uh this is a free-range organic uh dairy uh also of that same alexander family so you can do it the right way and i'm gonna uh talk about that some more here uh but first, I want to say there is some progress um, uh, recently, uh, in California, in two thousand and eighteen, they had a, a statewide referendum that uh, I think the vote was sixty three percent of the population said you you can you need to give these animals more space. Now this isn't the best solution, but it was progress. You saw those uh, pigs, sows, and crates earlier, or they call them crates. That's about two feet wide and four feet deep. So the California thing said that you had, at least had to give them four feet by six feet so they could turn around. Well, here again, that doesn't really solve the problem of intensive confinement because they're still in this barn enclosed. But other states, there's like a total of ten now that have taken action. They ban the crates altogether so that they have to have a group, what they call group housing. Uh but still they're in these confinement uh facilities. So uh so anyway, the, the deal was that California said that you uh that you can't sell your pork in the state of California unless it meets our standard. Well, Big Ag, of course, uh said this is a violation of interstate commerce in the Constitution or however it's written up. And just in May, the Supreme Court uh, ruled by five to four that the California's Proposition Twelve was in fact constitutional. It also dealt with hens, giving them more space, and uh, veal. The veals were also kept in baby cows and kept in cages. There was five to four, <clears throat> and um, so now the. Producers outside the state have to meet that standard in order to sell in California, which is a really large market. So it it does help. Uh, The Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote on behalf of the majority, while the Constitution addresses many weighty issues, the type of pork chops California merchants may sell is not on that list. I don't know quite how to think about that statement, but... um, And he also said pork producers must petition Congress for relief from state laws Um, they don't like, he added. Well, on June 15th, those of us in Kansas, our U.S. Senator Roger Marshall uh, uh, introduced the Ending Agricultural Trade Suppression, Suppression Act which aims to prevent states from in- enacting laws that impact agricultural production in other states. Uh, and then it was also introduced in the House of, of the House. Uh, some of these other states, though, have banned uh, cages altogether, which the California thing doesn't. But what is important here is the principle was accepted by the Supreme Court that states the people of the states, it's not just the states, because remember this was a statewide uh, uh, referendum in California, that the people of the states can say, oh, I don't want to eat stuff from these nasty CAFOs or as bad as the CAFOs. So uh, that's some uh, progress. But one of the things that i am I'm, uh, I'm going to tell you more about the EATS Act here this is an analysis from the Harvard Law School Animal Law and Policy Program. It says the Eats Act would prevent state and local governments from regulating the pre-harvest production of imported agricultural products except to the extent that those products already are regulated in the place of production. And this is amazing. The Legislation further states that if there are no federal, state, or local regulations on concerning the state of these agricultural production, that lack of regulation, which is no regulation, becomes the new regulatory ceiling okay. for any state or locality importing those products from that jurisdiction. In other words, what they this act does is say that a state that isn't it, regulating anything now can't in the future. <laughs> because of, of the scope of its production against any standard condition uh, on pre-harvest production of any agricultural product sold or offered to sale in interstate commerce is so broad The legislation has the potential to void over a 1,000 state and local laws and regulations concerning public health and safety. That would include pesticide regulation. Uh, And so this this means it's going to wipe out a number of laws that aren't about animals, but anything about agricultural production. Uh, They'll be wiped out too. So... Oh, and this thing has, if you remember the Texas law that they passed in the last year uh, banning abortions, there was the bounty hunter part of that. You might remember that uh, if you help any woman, if you're in Kansas and you help any woman get an abortion, then somebody can sue you for up to $10,000, I think, in Texas. There's a bounty law in this EATS act which essentially deputizes anybody in the country because this is this would be a federal law to sue you if you uh uh if you if you in any way interfere with this the, the this law and what it's doing so this is a draconian uh reaction to the supreme court ruling and so uh it's called EATS. I don't have the number, but if you Google it, you can find it. If this comes up, please, uh, it's just been introduced, please ask your uh congresspersons to vote against it. Okay. I basically just told you about all this part of the uh So here's what you can do besides asking your uh, politicians to vote against the EATS Act. Uh, and that is, if you, are, uh, if you use animal products, obtain uh, your products only from local free-range producers. And I have here that I can hand out. I think I've got enough. I'm at 18 of them. If you want to pass these around. These are a list of six producers that are with that serve the Kansas City area. I just got a delivery yesterday from one of them, uh, and there's others. Um, you can go to KC Healthy Kids that's an organization in, or a charity organization in Kansas City and look at the uh, listing of producers they have for a local production because they will all, any of them that do eggs, meat, or anything will be free range. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, on April 6, <clears throat> April 6, 2024, is the Eat Local and Organic Expo. This is the, it'll be the 25th year that it's been uh, done. I was involved in organizing the first one. Uh, Casey Healthy Kids now runs it. It'll be at the Johnson County Community College gym. Some of you might have been there, but uh, there you can meet the farmers. The best way to avoid industrial agriculture altogether uh, is to, first of all, go to some of these uh, really good uh, organic stores like uh, Natural Grocers. I like that one. There's a bunch of them around. Uh, and all their produce, for example, is organic. Uh, But as far as uh, animal products, I recommend that you go meet your farmer. Uh, They'll have them on site for sale, but also you'll know who they are and where they are and and how they raise their animals. Uh, And so that is the best way. It's April 6th at Johnson County Community College. And also just go to the KC Healthy Kids uh, website when you get a chance and see what they have on that. So that's the solution. I have no illusions that we're ever going to beat Big Ag because they're so powerful, the politicians, particularly in red states. And as you know, in America, we don't really have democracy because there's so many red states that have the same number of senators that the blue states have. Uh, So the red states can control certain parts of our law, uh, even though their population is a small fraction of the whole of of other states and well kansas is one of them so is missouri uh so anyway uh the way to win this battle in another 20 years is to just stop eating kfo products don't go on ordinary. if you buy these products at a typical grocery store that's what's going to be in there and even because of the problems with organic labeling of animal products, they may say it's organic, and it won't really be a free range. What do you want is pastured or free range are the terms you want when you're looking at that. So I think that is about it. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Craig. As I've said, everything I ever needed to know about CAFOs I learned from Craig. Um, It's Q&A time. Many of you are familiar with the system of how we handle that, but let me read it to you just in case. You need to come up to the microphone, ask a question. Don't make a statement. One question per person until everyone has had an opportunity to ask what they want to ask. Uh, no speeches. Okay. Uh, who has a question? You want to come on up? I just had a friend tell me about the KC Animal Health Corridor. I don't know anything about it. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Do you know about that, Craig?
0: KC Animal Health Corridor?
1: Yeah, in Manhattan, I guess, the whole, all the way to Kansas City. It's.
0: Oh, if it has, if it comes out of K State University in Manhattan, then it's some big ag thing. Probably. They have, uh, they're very concerned about these diseases that can wipe out their CAFOs, like a explained, bird flu can. There's others, like the, uh, another type of flu actually originated, H1N1, I think, originated from CAFOs in North Carolina and Mexico. This was uh, some years ago when there was, it started killing people. So this is, uh, K State won the, uh, the right to have the main uh, research center for avoiding these kinds of diseases, mass diseases in animals. So this is a big ag thing. So here again, uh, this is a case of having a fundamentally flawed design. And so then they spend billions of taxpayer money to try to overcome the consequences of their deeply flawed design. So it's just, the usual ridiculous thing.
2: I'm a YouTube junkie, so I watched uh, an English relative to uh, chickens, and their version of capo, uh, they had a ratio of one, and then letting them out into ca- uh still confined, but out of the cages was four, and free-range was seven. That was the ratio of cost. Yet when the wife and I go up to the farm, we swing by the Amish farm and we get free-range eggs relative to Sunfresh or Price Chopper, competitive or cheaper. And can you talk about the economics and the volume of people if they start doing free range what it affects the economics
0: uh that's a good point uh if you go back to what i said and i showed you those old brochures uh they have a point that if you want to get the lowest possible cost to make you that popular with everybody uh, then if you don't have to pay the true cost then you can get the cost down to Uh, cheap hamburgers or whatever it's called externalities and uh, the the term in economics theory is when a producer does not pay his true cost by throwing off certain costs uh, like the problem of having to kill all your animals when there's a disease uh, then it's called an externality that the public has to pay for and the perfect example was in this case of the uh, bird flu uh, so, but in my opinion, uh, it'll be necessary for the American population to essentially go back to where meat and meat and animal products were really valued as a, a treat or a special thing to do, and to start and to start eating less of these products, because the reason that these capos are out there is because we all we meaning the American people eat so much meat because we were propagandized to say that this is the way you should be when we all know there's a there's a whole lots of uh, and I'm not promoting one thing or another but there's lots of vegetarians and vegans that are perfectly healthy Uh, so I think that was all just a matter of the, the livestock industry wanting to grow so as far as these numbers you gave 7 to 4 to 1, uh, that doesn't sound right to me. I think if you go to a, uh, get your – in fact, during this problem, remember that uh, 59 million hens died uh, because of the bird flu? And you remember the price of eggs went up two or three times? But you could still go to your farmer's market and buy eggs. Uh, in in some instances, cheaper cheaper uh, during that instance. So the answer is eat less uh, and buy your animal products from farmers you know. And the best way to do that is uh, local farmers markets. And Kansas City has, partly because of all what the Kansas City Food Circle did over the years of of contacting and promoting farmers to to do it right, Uh, there
3: are quite a few farmers supplying these products now in our area. I'm representing the online audience today, uh, why did you omit sheep in your presentation? Sheep,
0: uh, actually, I'm not aware of a sheep, CAFO. Um, there may be one somewhere, but I know uh, I used to hike through England uh, and where she that's sheep is everything, they were all on pasture, uh, so. I'm just not aware that they're putting sheep in CAFOs, and that's actually a good question I don't have the answer to because I don't know why they haven't tried to do that. Part of it may be that sheep don't want soy and corn. <laughs> and That's what all the other animals get, soy and corn, uh, genetically engineered also. So it could be it's just a lot easier to put your sheep <clears throat> on uh, pasture. Partly also there's not that much demand. Uh, for wool anymore uh and there's some demand demand for eating lamb uh so uh so that may have something to do with it but i I really can't answer that question without researching it
3: okay and i have two others from the audience so if somebody else needs to jump in come, and i will move back uh second one is does whole foods have free range organic
0: I, I don't go there, so I don't shop there, uh, so I really can't answer that. But I would look closely at the uh, – I would I would research that yourself on on the, the net as to what they're selling because they tend to be more uh, – you know, they're bigger and have greater. Uh, so I, I would be hesitant to just buy their sp- – product unless you ask the right questions. Were these animals raised on pasture? Uh and even free range is not a legal label, nor is pastured a legal label. Uh, but the ones who are promoting their products that do this would put that on there. So the word pastured is the best, but free range also uh-huh. uh, is, would would tell you, but uh I'm just don't know for a fact what they're selling.
1: Craig aside from just not eating as much meat, eggs or dairy, what legislative action could an individual take to change laws nationally so there is some decency towards animals when it comes to CAFOs?
0: I hate to say this, but uh Big Ag and feeding the world uh, is such a big deal thinking that they're feeding the world when in fact we should teach other people to feed themselves uh, and we have a lot better off. Uh, I don't, I think you're going to end up, like I say, just try to defeat the EATS Act and others like it that are trying to further increase the power of Big Ag to do what they want. Uh, I don't, see i think at the give a better shot well not in kansas or missouri but you would have a better shot at the local level uh encouraging things like people in the suburbs can keep chickens
3: mm-hmm.
0: that that is that's one thing that has been spreading somewhat uh you can have your own eggs uh and when, where i used to live there was a neighbor that did that and nobody cared because now i wouldn't recommend hogs because they Uh, or cattle are too big. Uh, But actually where I live now, uh, there's cattle within half a mile of me in a place. So uh, I think the local laws is just uh, to open up the opportunity for people to raise their own uh, or to help uh, establish farmer's markets, which farmer's markets are great beyond this issue. They're great for for just... uh, Getting people of the community together on Wednesdays or s- Saturdays, uh, and so I love farmers markets and Great. so that kind of promotion. But as far as state or national legislation, other than trying to defeat these things that big ags trying to do, uh, I don't I don't see anything else. Well, there I, I take that back. There is a uh, Senator uh, Cory Booker of New Jersey or New York. New Jersey, yeah, Uh, he has a bill that's been out there, and you can, yes, that's, I'm sorry, that's true, that one, um, he's trying to put a a moratorium on further CAFOs, so that would be one to support. Also, the farm bill is coming up, and there's several of those bills that would take a whole different, a new uh, presentation, which I may volunteer to do, actually, because that's going to be coming up here soon. There's things like there that uh, promote – I think Biden's already done this to a certain extent in this recent bill about – I forget what they call it, but this big bill he put out there to promote renewable energy and so on. In there are uh, grants for localized meat processing for these farmers that do. Small farmers can do it, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, But there will be a risk when the farm bill is – when they all get together to do that that they'll try to take that money away for other uh purposes big ag will uh, so uh that that would be to look at the farm bill uh and uh, and and support the uh Cory Booker bill
1: great thank you should that uh, Alexander family be part of this list that you passed out uh
0: there, I only only on the list are farmers within yeah. probably 50 miles of Ken City, okay. maybe 100 miles at the most, because there's a limit to see Alexanders in another state. Um, I mean, way off. I just mainly wa- uh, wanted to show you can support them by buying their milk. Uh,
3: another one from the audience or from the online. A way to fight this is for multiple related organizations to join forces, e.g., the state and national organizations of small farmers. Do you know what the Sierra Club is doing to form coalitions?
0: Well, that's a uh, interesting point. Uh, I am uh, also the co-chair of the national uh, KFO sub-team of the Farm and Food and Farm Food Food and Ag Grassroots Team so i have in the last two years been doing that and learned what's going on around the country a lot more uh, and i should have brought the uh uh email link to that but uh you can learn more about uh, cafos we're we're talking in our meetings about one of the other major pro- or the biggest problem about KFOS in the environment is water pollution and the regulatory system is completely useless because they have way, they have so many loopholes that allow these big CAFOs to spray their wastewater on the fields in ways that it gets into the... Uh, so, uh, just, I would say, the seer club at the grassroots level is really, there's a lot of people fighting these things. It's not really that big at the national level at the point right now. Uh, so, stay tuned, you're we're working on getting a lot of what we're doing uh, sent out to the whole membership, which is something like 800,000 people, I think. Uh,
3: The next question, we had a prolonged period of triple digit weather this summer again, probably one of the hottest summers since 2011. Was heat stroke a problem again this year or did the CAFOs learn how to protect the animals?
0: Uh, That's a good question. I, Uh, Especially, it hasn't been unusually hot so much around Kansas and Missouri, in my opinion. Uh, But I, oh, I was going to make a point. I didn't talk much about cattle feedlots. Uh, And and they are less cruel because they're outdoors. But because they're not on pasture, which doesn't absorb heat much, uh, they're on this dark dirt and it absorbs heat. So that's why cattle in feedlots are subject to heat stroke and other suffering. So those the cattle feedlots are not good either. Uh, cattle evolved to be on grass, and that's where they belong. Uh, but unfortunately, in the last 40, 50 years, the standard became, because Big Ag said it was, to, for them to be fed corn and soybeans because it made their meat contain more fat. And it tastes better, but there's more fat in there. So uh, I, I don't buy any of that stuff. So you can do just as well with grass-fed. And one of those people on the list specializes in grass-fed uh, uh, in, the, in the Flint Hills. So uh, did I – what was that question again? Heat stroke. Oh, heat stroke.
1: Problem
0: uh, I have not heard or read – anything about it but i must have happened down in texas where it's 110 degrees uh so i'll have to research that can you quickly
2: reiterate what happens when i go to uh costco or price chopper or sunfresh and read uh, things like pasture raised grain finished and all these various label or uh, that I should try and distinguish between.
0: Okay. Pasture-raised grain finished, if they're on the same label, describes a cattle feedlot. Because the cattle feedlots, are cows everywhere, including the Flint Hills, uh, start out as young cattle, uh, less than a year old. They put them out on all that grass in the spring, and they feed them for three or four months. This is after they burn all that grass and pollute our area. Um, and then they're shipped out to western Kansas where these massive feedlots are. That 140,000 one is an example, but there are dozens of them. And then they're put on feed, which is genetically engineered soy and corn. So just because they, if it's beef and they say they're pastured, that's just feedlot beef. So you don't want it, okay? unless you're desperate. I don't know. I don't try to tell people what to eat. I know better than that. Uh, that's that is what I call personal sovereignty. You can make your own decision. Uh, I'm just trying to say here's what the facts are. Now, if you see pastured on uh, chickens, that might be legitimate, uh, but I doubt it would be in Costco. So, I, I would. I, I don't think Costco is to my knowledge, sells any of these uh, truly pastured uh, organic stuff. But then I haven't been there lately, so.
3: In fairness, that massive kill-off of chickens at the Rembrandt factory was to avoid a mass epidemic of avian flu. What was the alternative?
0: Uh, Not to have a CAFO with five million hens in it, That's the alternative.
3: And the last question I have uh, currently, has anybody promoted federal and state subsidies to small farmers who use cruelty-free and organic practices?
0: Well, like I earlier said, this latest uh, bill, and I forget the name of it, uh, it's always in the news, uh, did include uh, subsidies to establish around the country, more small-scale animal processing facilities. Uh, And that's important because that makes it – because many of the small farmers, one of their biggest problems is having to get in line to the nearest facility. Uh, And sometimes it takes months for them to schedule their animals to there. So this is a really important uh, element that the federal government can help. The other thing is that, um, and this is controversial, but uh, based on the research I have uh, looked at, is uh, putting animals on pasture has strong potential to, incorpor- to uh, incorporate carbon into the soil. Because of the, their, instead of their waste being put in piles, are in massive containments, uh, it's actually spread out. It helps the grass grow and also the hooves working into the soil. So there's, in the Sierra Club group that I'm part of at the national level, there's several farmers that are on the forefront of regenerative agriculture. Regenerative agriculture essentially is no different than the old conservation methods of rotating your crops and so on. But they, they see a strong role for cattle. Uh, in, uh, in regenerating the soil with putting more uh, organic material in it. Because in the last, and I gave a presentation on this here, but in the last 50, 60 years since World War II, the amount of organic material, meaning carbon-based, in our soils around the country is like a half or even a third of what it used to be before development. And all that carbon went in the atmosphere.
1: All right. Well, Craig, any parting thoughts before we wrap it up?
0: No, I think I've said it all. All
1: right. Well, thank you very much. I always appreciate your simplified presentations. Like I I can understand what you're saying. Okay. Uh, Next week will be our final forum of uh, the month. Information is a public good. Experiments in better government. Uh, Spencer Graves will be in my spot here, um, and thank you for coming for the forum.
0: Thanks for listening. And now, stay tuned for Jazz in the Afternoon at 1 p.m., followed by the Happy Hour at 3 p.m., and the Heartland Labor Forum at 6 p.m., all right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Have a great day.